And do we have some kind of show coming up today and a big surprise for those who love the brand that is the Organic Gardener. We'll tell you about that in just a second with Doug, DougOster.com. He on the Disk Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline. In the meantime, if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you win a $25 gift certificate from Sorgles right now. And if you have a gardening question in this first segment, you can call right now at 866-391-1020. It's Welcome Home Week, is it not, Doug? Good Isn't morning. this exciting? Isn't this exciting, Rob? Good morning. Yes, our old friend, horticulturist Jessica Walliser, who hosted this show from the very beginning with me, co-founded it, co-hosted from 2005 till a year ago. Uh, she's going to be coming on to talk about her brand-new book, Plant Partners, Science-Based Companion Planting Strategies for the Vegetable Garden. And you know how Jessica loves science in this book. It is phenomenal. So, Rob, we're going to have fun talking to her, uh, you know, all those years we worked together. There's only going to be time for callers in this first segment. So if you've got a question, please call. Um, you know, Rob, if we get a caller, just interrupt me, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, this week's story for the Green Voice that I wrote is all about microgreens, something I love doing. We've talked about it here before, and it's so super easy if you want to grow something. On your windowsill, just get a packet of seeds of radishes, sunflowers, beans, uh, lettuce, arugula, herbs like basil, uh, lots of other things can can be grown this way. And it's just throwing some seeds into a little bit of wet planting mix, and as soon as they sprout, that's your microgreen. You don't need any special lighting. It's just on the windowsill, and they are really tasty, really good for you, and it's just fun to have something fresh off your windowsill to throw on a sandwich or in a salad, microgreens are a blast. Uh, I've got like one operation going, and then when I harvest it, I'll put seeds in that one, and the other one, it, it's kind of working on the against the other one, so I always have some microgreens going. Uh, I'll be back on Pittsburgh Today Live Friday morning. This week, it's all about sharpening and oiling your tools. I, you know, I talk often about using my grandparents' tools, and one of the ways to keep them uh going is is just to be sure that those wooden handles get what they need and uh, that they're sharp and that the they're oiled and so that'll be uh, a lot of fun uh, on Friday for Pittsburgh Today Live and if you didn't get through today uh, to ask your question just go to dougoster.com uh, after the show I answer questions for an hour and uh, you just click on the contact button and put your question in there and I'll get right back to you um, later on, Mrs. Know-It-All is, all gonna, is gonna talk all about growing vertically, which will be fun. Uh, any callers, Rob, or do you want me to keep going? Let's take a call. Let's say hi to uh, Gene in Washington. Hey, Gene, how are you? Good morning. Fine, good morning. I was wondering, Doug, if you know anything about bonsai trees. My granddaughter got one, got the seeds as a gift for Christmas, and she planted them. And there is nothing happening. Okay. Uh, were there instructions on that seed packet? Do you know? Or yes, uh, they they came with the the soil, the the packet, everything. And she planted the seeds. They put it under a heat lamp to keep the the soil right. warm. But they haven't. Um, you know, it's seeds been about for two trees. Weeks. I'm wondering if they time. aren't any good. Seeds for trees can take a long time to germinate. And as long as you okay. keep that soil, as long as you keep that soil moist and warm, they sh- they will sprout. Uh, so okay. just have just have patience. 
So wait for them to sprout. That's going to be a fun project uh, because you're going to, you know, it's going to, going to take a long time for that tree to do its thing, but it's going to be fun to take care of something uh, for that long. And good, good for her, uh, you know, starting some bonsai trees from seed. I think it'll be uh, an interesting project. Thanks for your call. All right, so what else? Uh, looking forward to our time with Jessica today. Talk- oh, yeah. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, you know, where do, you, where do I read her uh, introduction? She's got a lot going on. Uh, and uh, like I said, I, you know, I've, I've been reading the book for, uh, you know, had it for about a month, maybe longer, and it's just filled with lots of great ideas. Um, you know, one thing that I'm also doing here at my house is, uh, growing herbs on the windowsill. That's another super easy thing. Uh, if you can g- get to a greenhouse, get to a, a garden center, pick up a few herbs, and and just a, a, a container with something that holds the water underneath so you're not making a mess on the windowsill. You know, things like sage and oregano and thyme and mint, uh, these, these will all uh, do fine on the windowsill. They'll, they'll limp along here because there's not... The days aren't really long enough for them, but uh, rosemary is another good one. Uh, rosemary, of all those, is the hardest one, though, to keep going. Uh, if it's too dry, uh, it'll die. If it's too wet, it'll die. <laughs> so you have to keep the moisture just right. But you can just trim off them and use them uh, in the in the kitchen. And then uh, last week I did a, a segment for Pittsburgh Today Live on amaryllis and paper whites, and both are actually pretty easy to to get to bloom next year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I talked about this before. For all these years, I've been telling people with paper whites, uh, just, you know, throw them in the compost when you're done. That's what I was taught. But then by accident, I treated those paper whites just like I would treat an amarillo. So I had paper whites that were done blooming. I kept them on the windowsill, just big leaves, just foliage. And then at some point in late winter, I threw them into the uh, into the greenhouse, unheated greenhouse, and they just stayed in there. And we had that dry, hot summer. They there was just you know all I I just forgot all about them. They were just pots sitting in the corner of the greenhouse. And you know you can imagine with all that heat we had, you you multiply it through a greenhouse and dry. You know, you wouldn't expect anything to survive, but those are, they're just acting like regular daffodil bulbs. They are uh, uh, just going dormant. Well, there's a leak in the greenhouse. Water got on one of those pots and it started to put up foliage. I looked over, I said, wow. And then I saw a flower bud and I'm like, oh man. So I took the other two pots and watered them and I got blooms again. So being the, the super cheapskate, <laughs> I'm just going to keep the same paperweights. I know I'll I'll plant more. I've got actually, I've got how many? One, two, four pots out <laughs> by my big window where I've got like a table filled with plants, just with paperweights. And the thing about paperweights, we all know, uh, some people love the fragrance, like me, and other people can't stand the fragrance, like my wife. So <laughs> you either got to grow them in another room or not do a lot of them. But like I said, I got a lot going on and. I need some help from you guys. I'm I'm building these uh, free seed libraries that I'm going to put around the city. And I need a couple of I was going to make them out of wood, but then I thought, well, I want to move them. You know, I, I want to be able to put them here and there. You know those boxes that you would put a quarter in to buy a newspaper? If you know of any way to get 
couple of those that are broken, the locking mechanism doesn't work where the newspaper doesn't want them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint those and then fill them up with all sorts of seeds. I've got a seed company that's interested in being part of this. Uh, and it'll just be free seeds for people, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. It's going to help people, but it's also going to be a way for us to share some of our uh, cool seeds. You know, I, I can just have a, uh, you know, on my social media, just say, hey, somebody gave me this tomato seed. I've got 100 packets. I put them in the seed library. So I need to kind of track down a couple of those newspaper boxes. What would you call those, Rob? Newspaper sales boxes, I yeah, guess? Yeah, yeah, containers. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want just a little plastic paper box you throw the paper in. I want the big thing that you, you put the quarter in and open it up, and uh, it'll be a, a fun project if I can find them. If not, I'll have to make them out of wood, and with my skills as a carpenter, I'm going to have to have somebody do that. So you, I guess you are planting the seed to make people think gardening, right? Oh, no doubt about it. Very well done there, Rob. All right, please give this incredible guest one more plug before we go to the break. Uh, our friend Jessica Walzer, who co-hosted, co-created the show with me, is, is coming on, and we're going to have a lot of fun talking to her about her new book, Plant Partners, Science-Based Companion Planting Strategies for the Vegetable Garden. Hey, donate blood at any Vitaland Donor Center now through January 10th, and a contribution will be made on your behalf to the Light of Life Rescue Mission. Go to vitaland.org slash feedfamilies to save your spot. More details at kdkradio.com. I tell you, we've been counting down to this one. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'll step aside and turn it over to your host and one of the founding members behind the brand that is the Organic Gardeners. Here he is, Doug Oster, and, of course, Jessica Wallace. So great to have her back. Happy New Year to her. Doug, it's all yours, buddy. Our special guest is Jessica Walliser. She co-created and co-hosted the show with me since the beginning in 2005. We had a lot of fun working together for 15 years. She's a horticulturist, prolific garden writer, one of the co-founders of SavvyGardening.com, an awesome gardening website, editorial director of Cool Springs Press, which publishes garden books, and in her spare time, every once in a while, gets out in the garden. Her latest book is Plant Partners, science-based companion planting strategies for the vegetable garden. But before we get to the book, let's catch up a little bit, Jess. How was your gardening season? Hey, Doug. Uh, it was good, and a, a substantial part of that was because of you. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> you were trying big, to think, uh, wait, what did I what, do? What are those things called? Uh, <laughs> the cattle panels. Or something? They were cattle panels, so uh, I don't know if your your listeners know, but in the spring I had this vision of putting these big arches up in my vegetable garden, and you need these big long sections of fence that farmers use to keep the cattle corralled, and they're called cattle panels, and they're really heavy-gauge galvanized wire, and they were like 10 feet long, and I had no way to get them to my house, so Doug to the rescue, and uh, the greatest part was when you pulled up in the driveway and told me about how you had to wrestle those cattle panels and pull them <laughs> up and get them in the back of the truck. <laughs> I got the tractor supplied. You know, me and these two other guys were just like, uh, how are we going to do this? You know, I have a five-foot bed with a bed extender, you know, to hold that kayak, but still the, the things with the laid flat were like, uh, because they're flexible, were <laughs> hitting the ground. So... Uh, actually, it was the guy there at Tractor Supply. He said, wait, let's turn them sideways. 
and bend them around and into the bed, and I strapped them in that way and carefully drove to Jessica's house. I was very happy to get them out of the uh, the truck and uh, into your driveway. Uh, that, yeah, that they were great, saw, though. I, they were great. I, I saw pictures of your garden with them in there, and it looked amazing. And then, real quick, before we get to the book, I think it was just a couple of days ago, I saw pictures of your containers. Holy cow. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much. I, I love, I always do a lot of containers on the patio. I have a lot of big, um, glazed ceramic pots, and I like to, that's sort of where I do little experiments, mostly with, a lot of um, tropical plants, so stuff that's not hardy here. Like I have a red banana tree and a, a brugmansia, which is like an angel's trumpet, and these giant black elephant ears. And I just really love to experiment with those plants that wouldn't survive the winter here, but they do so great in containers. And then sometimes I drag them into the garage in the fall and overwinter them in the garage in a dormant state. So right now I have two, like, giant banana trees in the garage. Um, but they survive the winter. I just, you know, it's it's not a heated garage. They just sort of shift into dormancy, and then I drag them back out in the spring. So cool. fun way to do it. So for plant partners, you know, we both heard about companion planting for years, but, you know, everything is kind of like folklore and stories passed along. How did you go about scientifically discovering how these plants help each other? Because if you look at the book, there are 10 pages just of bibliography, 10 pages of different sources that you looked at to get all this information. Yeah, you know, you used to tease me for being a nerd, and it's finally paying off, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know me. I love to research. I love to look up studies and and read them. Um, Anything pertaining to to botany and horticulture and farming is just fascinating to me. And, you know, yeah, we we have heard about companion planting forever, but we also knew it was sort of conjecture and folklore. So I just really, I knew, but I, you know, you know that plants interact, right? There's all these studies out about how trees communicate with each other through the, um, you know, the fungal network under the ground. And I thought, well, there have to be ways that plants communicate and relate to each other and interact in our vegetable garden. So um, when Story Publishing approached me about doing this book, I thought, well, that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start looking at the ways plants interact and then how does that then translate to what's going on in our vegetable garden? So um, so that's what I did, and I started to discover that there's some really cool studies out there, but they don't use the term companion planting um, just because of the sort of bad reputation that it has, right, that it's, it's not a scientifically proven method. So instead, they use the words interplanting and intercropping and polyculture. And so I thought, well, they, these are all companion planting, but just in the research, the scientists call them use those words instead of using companion planting. So um, I started to sort of distill it down and really look at, um, you know, these these studies that happened at large research farms. You know, how would they translate down into a home garden? What are some of the benefits that we can see from companion planting? And then, of course, out of that came the book. So we got a couple minutes left before we go to break. Um, I want to start off with uh, something from the book. Plants that help with nitrogen that you can just you can plant next to each other and one is going to give the other nitrogen. Is that how it works? 
Yeah, so we all, most of us know anyway that, you know, the reason a farmer would plant a cover crop of alfalfa in their garden or in their field is because they would use it as a cover crop and they would turn it into the soil and the nitrogen fixed by the alfalfa because it's a legume would then be released the next season for whatever crops are growing there. But a lot of people don't know that nitrogen actually can be transferred from leguminous plants while the plant is in a living state. So while it's still alive, you don't necessarily have to turn it under, although that's a greater release, but that release in a living transfer still happens. Again, through that underground fungal network, but also through just sort of the natural shedding of roots underground and and that nitrogen then gets released back into the soil. So yeah, so you can choose to partner things like peas and lettuce together or garden beans and potatoes. And some of those, you know, that nitrogen will transfer from the beans over to the potatoes. And in studies that showed a larger tuber size on the potatoes. And in the book, I talk about several different combinations where the that nitrogen is shared while the plants are actually living in your vegetable garden. Okay, Rob, how are we doing on time there? It's time to take a break, and we'll anticipate the next segment in just about eight minutes. Okay, guys? All right. All right, short break. Jessica Wallace or his guest, great to have her back on the air. Much more to come in part two of their interview, and plus Mrs. Know-It-All will be here as well, too. If you want to uh, join us, we're here each and every week. Doug and I, of course, you can find out more about what Doug does at DougOster.com. All right, more of Doug and Jess talking about her new book in just a moment. Uh, they're both on the Disc Institute of Pittsburgh Newsline, but if you're the 10th caller at 412-922-1020, you want a $25 gift certificate from your friends at Janoski's that will be opening at 8 a.m. today. They're there all winter long, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And now let's get back to Doug and Jessica Walliser. I just like how that sounds, Doug. Oh, yeah. It sounds like uh, old home week. Jessica Walliser co-created and co-hosted this show with me since 2005. She has a, her latest book is Plant Partners, Science-Based Companion Planting Strategies for the Vegetable Garden. Let's get back to it. And there's a quote from the book uh, I want, want to read. Weeds create stress for both plants and gardeners. Tell me something I don't know, Jessica. <laughs> I know you know all about weeds, Doug. Most gardeners do. So, and they, they but, but I know they don't cause you as much stress because when you have a lot of leaves, weeds, you just look the other direction. You remembered. <laughs> I yeah, do weeds, remember weeds, that. Weeds, weeds, weeds do not create stress for me. But one of the things in the book I, I was really fascinated with was uh, living mulch and uh, using clover. Talk a little bit about uh, living mulches and what it does to help with weed control. Yeah, so it's basically a method of companion planting where your mission is to suppress weeds. And so living mulch is instead of spreading straw or compost or bark mulch in your vegetable garden, um, you're using a living plant, a very low-growing live plant to form a, you know, covering over the soil to suppress weeds. Um, it does, you know, uh, also can provide nitrogen if you choose a legume like that clover that you just mentioned. And so you're partnering the plants together for the uh, goal of weed suppression. So if you're talking about things like clover, there's been studies that have shown if you surround your coal crops, which would be things like cabbage or broccoli or uh, kale, if you surround those with crimson clover that occasionally you would maybe mow down or cut down with a string trimmer, that you are actually going to have a great amount of weed suppression in that part of the garden and that you're going to get a better yield out of your coal crops. Um, And of course, you know, that clover can also provide habitat for beneficial insects. 
So you also will have some added uh, pest control happening there as well. So there's lots of different plants that you can use as living mulch. Um, again, I talk about quite a few of them in the book, and um, it's kind of a cool way to help suppress weeds. Squash bugs and squash vine borers are two of the most hard-to-control insects in the garden. You've got a couple ideas in the book for dealing with them, right? Yeah, I do. So in in Plant Partners, when I talk about, um, again, in the beginning of the book, all of the benefits of companion planting, the one that most often pops to mind for people, right, is pest control, because that's a lot of times what sort of the old school companion planting was all about. It was, you know, you plant your dill with your tomatoes because then you won't get hornworms, right? It was all focused on pest control for the most part. Um, And so I wanted to make sure I had a lot of that in the book. And yeah, squash, bugs, and squash vine borers, there's basically two different plant partnerships that you can do to really deter them. And the first is a partnership that's chosen um, because it draws those pests away from your desired squash crop, and that is blue Hubbard squash. So blue Hubbard squash is an, a favorite of both the squash bugs and the squash vine borers. So if you have a big enough garden where you can plant blue Hubbard squash sort of over on the edge, right, on the opposite side of your garden from the rest of the squash that you're growing, whether it's summer or winter squash, that serves as like a trap crop. They're going to go over there. They're going to be more drawn to that blue Hubbard squash than they are to the other varieties. Um, And then the other way that we can help uh, manage those two pests is by interplanting our uh, squash plants, in particular summer squash, like our zucchinis and yellow squash, um, interplanting them with nasturtiums. Because there was a really cool study that looked at uh, the number of those two bugs in around zucchini plants that were surrounded by nasturtiums, and it showed a great reduction of both squash bugs and squash vine borers. And of course, nasturtiums are beautiful, so it's an excellent plant partnership. And is there anything we can do disease-wise when you're talking about plant partners? Um, there are, and that this was one of the categories that I was super surprised about. I didn't really realize that you could use companion planting to help deter certain types of um, of disease issues. And of course, you know, you and I all the time when people would call with questions about blight on their tomatoes, we talk about how the spores of the blight are soil borne, and when it rains, they splash up onto the leaves of the tomato plant, and then they cause that that disease. Well. You know, what's interesting about plant partnerships and companion planting is that if we plant a living mulch underneath our tomato plants, that sort of forms a barrier over the soil, prevents the splash-up effect, and can reduce blight and disease because of that. So by underplanting our tomato plants with something like um, a cover crop of oats that we then cut down and just leave it, you know, leave it covering the soil, Um, that really works to help suppress disease. Or if we have um, something like verticillium wilt, which isn't too common in Pittsburgh, but it is in some other parts of the country, um, we might want to interplant our tomatoes, um, you know, with with a crop of hairy vetch, a cover crop of hairy vetch, which we have to mow, right, to keep it from going to seed, but that helps suppress that verticillium wilt in the soil. So, Um, Lots of, you know, it's not quite as many combinations for disease control as it is um, weed control or pest control, but there's definitely some and and some more emerging science about it as well. 
So with plant partners, here's another quote from the book. Be patient, be vigilant, be flexible. What does that mean? Indeed. So a lot of, again, going back to what I talked about in the beginning, a lot of the plant combinations that are written about in the research are, you know, under plant um, intercropping and um, creating a polyculture and things like that. So they're done on a larger scale. We're taking these, you know, studies that were, were done on a research farm and extrapolating them to, to make the assumption that they're going to work similarly in our home gardens as well. So when, when that happens, it, you do have to be patient because you, you know, may not get the same results the first year. So you might have to do a little experimentation. I mean, that's my favorite part about science is that, you know, it encourages you to experiment, right? So you read about something in the book and maybe you want to try a different level of experimentation with it in your, in your smaller landscape. So be patient. Try it more than once. Be vigilant. That means record what your results are. You know, when you planted that sweet alyssum with the, with the lettuce, like I talk about in the book, did you really see fewer aphids? Um, you know, you want to write that down. Take records. Be vigilant about keeping track of how things work. And then be flexible. You know, be willing to try new combinations. Be willing to say, oh, you know, this didn't work in this part of the garden, but I'm going to try it in my raised bed next year, and I'm going to see how it does there. So it's just a matter of keeping track of what works for you, being willing to experiment, and, and keeping your eye on things. What's the best way for people to get plant partners and to keep up with you? Uh, so plant partners is available everywhere books are sold. Um, you can certainly get it from online platforms like Amazon or IndieBound or uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, you can also check with your local um, independent bookseller, which, of course, I always encourage people to do. If they don't have it in stock, they can easily order it from their distributor. Um, that's the best way to get it. And they can keep track uh, of me and what I'm up to and still read. I still write a lot, um, and I do all of that on my website, um, Savvy Gardening, S-A-V-V-Y, SavvyGardening.com. And there's a little search box there. So if they have questions about a plant they're growing at home, they can just type that plant in the search box and come up with lots of articles that we have um, have written on Savvy Gardening about whatever the topic is. Oh, Jess, it was so great to catch up with you. Best of luck with Plant Partners. It is an awesome book. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for getting up early on Sunday. Thanks so much. It's like old times, Doug. <laughs> you know, that was, right, a, Rob. That, that was a great interview. I have to give oh, you thanks. five stars. She's, She's amazing, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she is. And, you know, I got to tell you, with that Penn State degree, horticulturist, you know, my uh, middle child is about ready and to officially graduate four years and three. Obviously, he's got his mother's brains. But, you know, I've really kind of plugged into the university. Uh, Mike Bronaszewski, who you know from the True Value Show, went there and always was talking to Jess about it. That's an amazing school, university, and these branch campuses, especially who people that like the garden. Boy, they, they teach some of the best, and she happens to be one of them, Doug. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's an amazing book, too, Plant Partners. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take a very short break. Come back. Tell them what's coming up next, Doug. It's Mrs. Know-It-All, and she's got some great ideas about growing up. Something you and I are still what we mean. Something you and I are still working on, I think. I know. <laughs> and by the way, come on, give me a final on the Browns game tonight. You know, I, I, you've been on my mind ever since this game was going to happen. Who do you? What do you think? Steelers favored by six. Uh, 28, uh, 14 Steelers. 
you know what, you Cleveland fans just can't ever believe that you just might win. I'm telling you, there's a reason why that line's only six. This is going to be a competitive football game. We're going to talk more about it on the Coons Market Black and Gold Sunday Show at 11. And we'll have more for you in Coons Quality Food Sports in just a moment. And he's back with you-know-who, Doug. Denise Schreiber, and she's going to teach us how to grow up. How do I grow up, Denise? Well, with you, I'm not sure we can actually do that. Um, But when I'm talking about growing up, I'm talking about growing up in the garden, uh, saving space and giving us more room to plant more crops, whether we want to do flowers or vegetables. Specifically for vegetables, this worked really well. So um, I started doing this last year. Uh, For years, I've grown um, Bush Romano beans, and I'm always bending over, and they're kind of hiding when you go to pick them. And I just decided that I was going to start growing pole beans. Uh, I have a particular favorite, Emmerite, which is widely available. But when you grow up, what you can you you need a sturdy trellis of some sort or a sturdy structure. You know, you can't be using one of those little stapled together wooden things that you buy at the big box store. They just simply don't hold up. So I have a system that I bought a couple of years ago, but like what Jessica was saying, that you can also get cattle fencing at like tractor supply. That'll work well. Or if you have a sturdy fence around your garden, you can also use that as part of your trellis work. So you can grow beans, obviously, cucumbers. You can grow a lot of squashes on them if it's sturdy enough. Uh, peas, gourds, pumpkins, and you know what people don't think about, but even you doing your tomatoes that way that you can actually tie them up against the fence rather than, you know, staking them or having cages, which, you know, I hate cages. I'm forever knocking them over. I can never get them straight. They bend. So this is another way to have space in your garden. And then, you know, you have all this extra space now. So what can you do there? I plant radishes, my favorite pickled beets, obviously, well, not pickled, but beets. You can grow green onions in there. And depending on the way your orientation is in the garden with the trellis, like if you have beans growing, you can actually grow lettuce on the shady side because lettuce does not like that hot summer sun at all. And this will give you a few extra weeks of growing it. You know, for like the bigger things like the squashes and pumpkins, it's not so much the, the vine can hold it, right? It's the You just need a, a very good support for the vine. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And you know what works really well is when you buy onions or potatoes in the mesh bags, or you can use a piece of burlap and just tie it off and use it kind of as a saddle. Now, if you're going to grow something like giant Atlantic uh, pumpkin, yeah, yeah you got to grow that on the ground. Right. <laughs> You'll break your fence. All right, Mrs. Know-It-All. As always, thank you for your information. Now, uh, we didn't have a lot of callers today, so if you've got a question, just go to DougOster.com, click on the contact, and I'll be answering questions for an hour after the show. Remember, organic gardeners, you make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. All right, great show, uh, Doug. Always good to hear from you and what you have to say. And again, go to DougOster.com. Coming up, the news at 8, and then roast recipes. Joe and Frank Dentisi, the Coons Cooking Hour. And we'll share a couple of trade secrets when it comes to how you can have the best home tailgate party ever for tonight's big game and everything that you need waiting for you at Coons Market.